0: Who are you? I'm no one. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Josh Larson, and I'm Adam Kempinar. We are posting this at 2:01 a.m. Central Time on Wednesday, December 16th. You better be sure about that. Well, I'm going to set They'll it. They'll come and get you. I'm going to set it we'll and earlier see if it works. It's the exact moment the Empire lifted the embargo on reviews for Star Wars Episode 7. The Force Awakens. We're taping it about 12 hours before, around 2:01 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, having just walked out of our screening, Josh. This is a unique situation for us for a couple reasons. This is the first Star Wars movie we've reviewed on the show, the two of us, and only the second Star Wars movie that has been discussed on the show after Revenge of the Sith. A little bit of film spotting trivia back in February 2005 when current producer slash original co-host Sam Van Halgren and I decided to start the podcast. We actually considered waiting until May to launch it. Because we wanted our first review to be something memorable or at least momentous. We couldn't wait. So we talked about the terrible be cool instead. And my rave review of Revenge of the Sith came out in episode 14. I knew you loved it. Did Sam like it too? I can't remember. I should have checked the ratings. I think Sam gave it a half-hearted Thumbs up. Okay. I think he was into it, but not nearly as much as me. So, yes, I was a big fan of one of the prequels. No, I have not seen that prequel since. This conversation also stands apart in that it's the first review I can think of where I'm not just worried about spoilers. I'm actually not sure we're safe giving away any plot details at all, lest we somehow ruin the experience for those who are daring to download this before seeing the movie, which means – We might actually be praised for offering the most nonspecific superficial review possible. I'll be happy if it clocks in at more than seven or eight minutes. We've also never sat next to each other during a movie and had a clear tell that would reveal whether one of us was enjoying the movie or not. Just before the movie began, you turned to me and said, see this banana? If I eat this before the movie ends, you'll know whether or not the movie worked. I said, well, see this protein bar? I'm eating this regardless (laughs) of how much I'm enjoying the movie because I'm starving. Screening started at 11. It was going to go till after one. Exactly. We had our concerns. Josh always comes prepared. The lights go up, one empty banana peel, (laughs) one uneaten protein bar. I suppose I could simply ask, were you hungrier than you thought, or did J.J. Abrams fail to awaken the force in you? And if that's not enough to chew on, I'll go a little bit deeper, though I'll be very vague, and ask you this, for all those prequel haters out there who lamented the way George Lucas ruined their childhood, is it to Abrams' credit or discredit that with Episode 7 he seems essentially to have tried to hand that childhood back to every kid like me who vividly remembers watching Episode 4 at the drive-in wanting so desperately to be Han Solo and Luke Skywalker?
1: I did eat the banana. It's true. Uh, but you know what it was it was mainly because the stomach had grumbled about four times and and I just had to do it. I was you gave was, in to in, the dark side. I gave in. I was entertained by this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, absolutely. I think your second question is the one I'll be wrestling with a little bit longer. This is somewhat what I expected Abrams would do, given his track record, and provide something that was safe, nostalgic, but still well done and entertaining. And that's what we have here. I enjoyed it as someone who also, as a child, played Han Solo in the backyard with the neighborhood friends days on end, and as someone, maybe not like you, beyond Revenge of the Sith, who liked all of the prequels. Uh, I would say this is more of a nostalgic exercise than the prequels. Uh, I would say it's perhaps a little less imaginative than the prequels. Those are my immediate reactions. I'm not quite sure yet whether I'm going to say whether it's a lesser or better film than them. It's a good Star Wars picture. I'll say that for sure, which is something I can say of all of them. So to my mind, we haven't had a bad one yet. Abrams is interesting. You know, I, I'm i trying to think of him and thinking of Star Wars in general as the work of an auteur, OK? George Lucas was the auteur behind this franchise. And he's not discussed that way, partly because he wasn't the credited specific director on a number of the original films. But he certainly had that level of control mm-hmm. up until now. And I think one of the reasons I appreciated the prequels is because you can feel that auteur stamp on those pictures for better or for worse. Abrams is, it's interesting when you look at him, he's he's something more like an auto-auteur where he he can capture the tone style aura of a previous franchise and make that his signature stamp. His signature stamp is being able to adapt and adopt other people's signature stamps in a really effective way. He's Mm -hmm. almost like you you push a button and out comes your familiar pop culture product that's going to make you feel good and make you feel happy. And and it's well done. I don't mean that to be too dismissive, but he did it with Mission Impossible 3. He did it on two Star Trek pictures, both of which I liked. And he did it with Super 8, which was not part of an existing franchise, but I think we could just subtitle that Spielberg. It's essentially... A Spielberg picture. Mm-hmm. I liked all of those. I think he's done a similar thing here. He is hitting every beat that fans expect. He's also polishing off the, to borrow an original trilogy phrase, the scruffiness mm-hmm. of those films. And maybe here's a question to start with I'll even admit there are sequences in the prequels where I cringe. Going back to the original trilogy. I'm glad to hear that. Going back to the original trilogy as an adult, there are moments where I cringed for different reasons. Did you have a cringe moment here?
0: Yeah, I had a couple of them, but only in the most throwaway sense. They were throwaway lines, literally what you would consider a throwaway line. Someone at the end of a scene makes a little crack that's a callback to something that we would only know from the previous films. And I felt like there was no point in those because they weren't that funny to begin with and I just didn't understand the nod even if you weren't going to give it a little bit more weight so those felt a little bit too hokey for me but those were very minor maybe two or three of those otherwise there were certainly no major sequences that did that though if we were going to get into specific details which of course we are not I will say that there is one moment in particular Between two characters, that's a showdown that is a standoff of a certain kind that maybe two more formidable actors, and I actually like quite a bit both of the actors in the scene, but maybe two more formidable actors really could have pulled off. It's something along the lines of it just occurs to me because, again, we haven't really thought about any of the stuff that we're saying at this point. It reminds me of the kind of showdowns you see in the X-Men movies where you've got Patrick Stewart going against Ian McKellen or Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy. And you can believe that they're just playing mind games with each other and it still feels very powerful and it feels like there's a lot of action. You'll have to tell me off air which one that is because there's a number of sequences you could describe that way. You could. You're right. But there's one in particular that I think most people when they see the movie will probably know what I'm referring to. And it just doesn't quite pull off the way I would have hoped. I agree with a lot of what you said about the movie, and it sounds like we are on a similar wavelength in terms of addressing this overall question of is it a good thing or a bad thing that he really has gone back and recaptured episode four? I mean he's repackaged episode four, and that's about all I want to say about it because, again, I don't want to say too much in terms of details. But he's repackaged that and really has given us everything as fans we would want to see. But then is that a lack of imagination? Is that a case where we say, okay, well, he had to at least lay the groundwork and you know what, we'll see where the other directors take the series. Maybe that's where the imagination will really come in. That's where they'll do something to really challenge and shake up this whole saga as opposed to taking everything that worked about episode four and sort of putting a new sheen on it and giving us new characters to respond to. That's something I'm going to continue to wrestle with. I think I enjoyed the movie overall more than you did. I was really – caught up in the film and the overall story and i guess the response i have the one i'm trying to formulate to people like me like you who may see this movie and may be asking themselves this question or maybe most people just simply won't care they'll love the trip that jj abrams takes them on is maybe what he's done it doesn't reflect a lack of imagination it doesn't even reflect a sense of him merely wanting to give the fans what they want Maybe it really is about Abrams tapping into what makes this series so remarkable. And it is the mythical nature of it. The sense of time, the sense of everything being a little bit circular and cyclical. And the way this storyline does so perfectly dovetail with episode four in terms of some of the details, but in terms, of course, of some of the characters as well, he's tapping into that myth that opened with that scroll that says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which even at age five or seven didn't make any sense. It sort of caught you off guard, like, what are they doing? What are they playing at here? Because this is the future. It has to be the future, but no, it's not. It's the sense of the myths that define who we are, the stories we tell ourselves, and those stories, Josh, they never change. About family, about identity, those stories go on and on and on with new characters and new faces. And maybe that's what Abram gets. And maybe that's why he really was the best person to direct this series. And that's a talent too, right? I mean, it's not,
1: he's not copying things. He handles these properties with kid gloves, with respectful gloves, with the gloves of a super fan. He's, mm-hmm. You know, he's this generation of filmmakers who are raised on these pop culture properties and is coming to them as someone who was one of those kids, you know. And so it's a different – that's a different mentality than someone who is seeing it purely as a product to be mimicked. He sees them as stories that struck him at one point, whether it was specifically Star Wars or not. I'm talking about this whole – Mm -hmm. fantasy-slash-sci-fi-slash-horror- The genre takeover of Hollywood, essentially, is what we have now. And he's one of the directors that grew up on that from, say, the 80s on, 70s perhaps, and is now revisiting them as a fan. So you can feel it, and it does dovetail very nicely in terms of theme, the nature of evil, the Mm -hmm. way it plays out in families is exactly there, and not in a sense of just, again, copying the plot points, but interweaving them in this larger tale of how – this is a galaxy governed by whether or not you are going to give in to urges for both good and urges for evil. And, you know, the, the strength of Star Wars has always been how it's not just despite the fact that there are stormtroopers and there are, you know, good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. clearly. But the heart of this is that it's all in one person, essentially. And yeah. Who is that one person and where are they going to end up? So I think the movie does a good job of capturing that. But, man, when you talk about repackaging, uh, the overall scope of this – Story, which we won't get into details, but really, if if you want the details, watch A New Hope. Mm-hmm. You've got the details. That's right? what I'm saying, yeah. And it even comes down to – I would love to revisit certain sequences side by side. I think they might have cut, might have edited some of these things exactly the way
0: it is there in are A New Hope. There are shots that are no doubt taken – Exactly from the bar that movie.
1: on Tatooine mm-hmm. in A New Hope when Let's they visit a details, similar Josh. bar here, but <laughs> I'm, not even, gonna, shots, I'm yeah. not even going to tell you what happens. But the the way it reveals side characters or other people in the room, it's pat, It felt to me like it's patterned on the same editing scheme. Also For when sure. they're X-wing fighters. Staging an attack. The cuts from the ships to the pilots inside are exactly Mm -hmm. the same. And so there's that question again. Are we just experiencing a thrill of nostalgia? Is this copying or is this some intermingling in between where it's, uh, you know, a new form of sort of nodding to something that's also its own style of art. And and I think Abrams does the good thing about Abrams in all the films he's made is found the way to hit that that spot in between. Whereas something like Jurassic World earlier this year, I feel like, went over to the pure nostalgia, let's just hit what we think we have to to evoke those memories Mm -hmm. in the audience. But the movie itself didn't feel very committed to what maybe those emotions were in the original audience, whereas this film you do feel a commitment to why all the previous Star Wars films work.
0: Yeah, and while we're talking about Abrams and what he taps into and what he understands, he really does boil down the essence of that battle between good and evil of light and dark in this film. This is another one where some people may watch the movie, Josh, and have widely different takes on whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, how much he distills it down to the point where in key confrontations, how much light appears in the shot actually affects characters as something becomes darker their behavior changes with that i mean he isn't shy about being on the nose about that and i think that maybe there are times in the movie where i even felt a little bit taken aback by it and other times like in the specific example i'm giving there where i actually thought it was really really effective i think too what does make this movie work what abrams got right was finding a vessel for that battle Finding the new Luke Skywalker to take us forward and be that beacon of hope in this saga. And it's Daisy Ridley. And I think she's remarkable. And she is someone who is very earnest in the same way a Luke Skywalker was. And maybe a little bit naive, but really, no, she's pretty worldly. And she's a bit of a scavenger. Actually, here's what Abrams really did. And I wonder if it was in his mind at all to do this. He gave us a heroine who is almost equal parts Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. For all of us kids who wanted to be both at different times depending on our mood, we've got it in the form of Daisy Ridley. I can't wait to see what more we're going to get from her in the series. That was my question for you. Has this film offered any characters
1: that you are excited about following? Yeah. Yeah in the next two pictures. Multiple characters, yeah. Okay, good, because, you know, that's the challenge. The, The movie is more nostalgic than the prequels because it relies quite a bit on characters we already know and love. I mean, Don Solo is not a cameo here. Nope. Harrison Ford gives us a lot of screen time. And so that is really the challenge. As much as I enjoyed that, I think Ford, for all his cantankerousness, mm-hmm. really falls back into character and manages so to do falls it. falls back into character. And it's he managed, incredible. You know, and, he, and he just does it with – the chemistry between him and a guy wearing a seven-foot carpet is amazing. Yep. I mean, the way
0: he's able to do that. But he even – Develops it with all these newcomers as well instantly. He does. Whether it's John Boyega or it's Daisy Ridley, they instantly have this rapport that the movie needs. He becomes a bit of a father figure. He becomes a bit of a heroic figure to them. They both need that. Abrams doesn't overplay that. And he's perfect. He's
1: He's really perfect. Because he's transferring all of our affection – from himself to these new characters. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm with you in wanting to follow Ridley in another film and see what she does. She is clearly the Skywalker figure, I would say. I think John Boyega is the Han Solo figure only because he has
0: this reluctance to him that has always defined Han See, Solo. See, I want to defend what I was saying here, but it will give things away that I don't want to give away to people. So, yes, you're right. There is more Han Solo in Boyega's character, even down to him. And I don't think this is a spoiler, being someone who initially is resistant mm-hmm. of helping the resistance. So there's no doubt there's a parallel but it's there. Not but a
1: one, it's not a one-to-one it at all. Not. What they're trying no. to do is essentially take these characteristics that we responded to in the original films and... Repackage again or recast them Mm -hmm. in new characters so that we have reluctance evidenced. We have bravery evidenced. We have untapped skill Mm -hmm. evidenced here in someone. We have loneliness and abandonment. Evidenced in someone as well. So yeah, those are so characteristics. Those, that's character, right? And, and that's what. And so they for find a me, place to put those. Yeah, those
0: those original films had in spades, and this movie has, of course, as well.
1: So Ridley is key, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be excited to see where it takes her. Oscar Isaac, I could have used more of. Absolutely, <laughs> but I
0: think, we can always use. I more think of Oscar he's good. Isaac. There's
1: a little Han Solo in him too, for sure. Um, and there is. We should just acknowledge. There's also a Darth Vader figure here, mm-hmm. and that to me, is key in connecting it with the previous six films as well, because those were the stories of Vader, essentially. And so I'm glad to see that that element is carried through because it's been the heart of the franchise. And for this to move beyond and become strictly an action-adventure picture that touches on some previous things from the films, it wouldn't have been much. There's much more action here, I'd say, than in all the other pictures, but still it manages to
0: evoke those themes and the character qualities as well. We talked about Harrison Ford, and I'm really glad because he's such a treat to watch. And sure, there may be a little bit of that nostalgia where when he says certain lines and he gives certain looks, it takes you back to how you remember first encountering Han Solo. And it hasn't changed. And maybe there is some comfort in that. But it's more than comfort, Josh. It's more than nostalgia, Josh. It's that character. We were drawn to Han Solo because of the characteristics that made him who he was. And those haven't gone away. He is still the essence of that character and Harrison Ford still completely embodies that. And there is a moment, and this is the easiest thing to say about a Star Wars movie, I know, but I can say it about many movies I saw this year. I just saw Creed just last night. There were moments in that that got me a little bit choked up. There is a moment here involving Han Solo and it's not the big emotional moment. It's really just him showing up on screen and the dialogue they have, the interaction, the way he has that interplay with those characters. I don't know what it was. I don't really know what it stirred in me, but it was the kind of thrill that I go to movies for.
1: Well, because it's so purely capturing exactly what we experienced before. And and that's to Ford's credit in being willing to do that and able to do that and Abrams' credit to creating the atmosphere for it. You know, I think it's funny because Solo is really, in Harrison Ford's performance in the original films, it's probably my favorite part And I know it was as a kid, but it's really the only postmodern element to those pictures. Otherwise, they're entire throwbacks to a more naive, innocent sort of filmmaking. And here Ford comes in with a certain snarkiness and a commentary on the action, uh, a Mm self-awareness that really doesn't exist otherwise in a very earnest trilogy. And this movie is more postmodern, I think, because it plays that up, not only in giving solo screen time, but giving his commentary, it seems to me, more time than in the other films. And I think that's a good match for Abrams, too, because there is that level of self-awareness that his films have, certainly the Star Trek films have, in how they're echoing the franchise that came before. And so Ford, now that I've seen the picture, you know, his involvement was crucial in getting this to work.
0: And it's a huge reason why it does. That might be a good stopping point. I don't know if you have more that you feel like you need to get out about this movie. There are a couple of things. I know we wanted to maybe get into legitimate spoiler territory here in a moment and just talk about one kind of major plot point of the movie that we certainly otherwise wouldn't reveal. I think that will dovetail nicely with a question I wanted to bring up in terms of that villain. You said there is a Darth Vader character here. There is. I don't know that I want to say more than that. So we're going to stop here. In terms of our initial reactions to Star Wars The Force Awakens, I'm proud of you, Josh. I'm proud of us. We got in more than seven or eight minutes. 10, 10 11. Oh, no, we're even over 10 or 11. Wow. Despite hopefully not being so detailed that we ruined anything about the movie. Let's go ahead and stop and we'll play a little clip from the trailer and we'll come back with some spoiler talk. There are stories about what happened. It's true. Okay, not intended to be a full-blown spoiler review of this movie. We did sit down here just to get our initial reactions out. But, Josh, you did bring up the idea of talking specifically about a climactic moment near the end of the movie. And if we haven't been clear, spoilers, we are spoiling the end of Star Wars The Force Awakens. We're not expecting anyone to listen to this portion of the show until after they have seen the movie. What did you make of the fact that J.J. Abrams kills off? Han Solo.
1: I'm, you know, I'm okay with that development. I think Harrison Ford is probably the most okay with that development. <laughs> exactly. Um, is this the death Han Solo deserved, though? That's, that's the question that I'm wrestling with right now, again, coming out of this 30 minutes ago, because he's, you know, as, since I've been a kid, he's my favorite character. I don't know that he perfectly represents what this franchise is all about. That's probably Darth Vader. But um, the one I had the most emotional attachment to I think it works primarily. My main question is, is this the sequence you were talking about when you said it was cringeworthy? No. Okay. good. No. Good. Because, uh, you know, the two actors here, again, spoiler, it's Adam Driver and Han Solo. (laughs) We can spoil things in this part of the show, just I know. We're safe. I'm panicking because someone's going to (laughs) say, well, I pressed pause and it got fast forwarded and then I came on. Anyways. Yeah. uh, You know, I I love thematically how it comes about. Um, And... I think overall it works. The reason I'm convinced the more I think about it is because it is somewhat of a heroic gesture on the part of Han Solo to try to save his kid, Mm -hmm. essentially, who's turned him away Mm -hmm. and rejected him. Again, confrontations with fathers, running theme throughout this franchise. I think he was prepared for that. Possible so it was almost sacrificial. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's sacrificial and heroic is because it so goes against his character, which the Han Solo figure is the one who has resistance to all this. He doesn't want to have any part of this. He's not a selfless guy. He's just a smuggler. He's out there for himself. And to take that risk for the sake of someone else um, – and then paying the price for it, I think there's fits. closure to that I character. Think, I think there is closure to that character. Yeah. Um. You know how how well the actors sell it. I think they sell it well enough. Uh, how it's staged. I wish it was on a little less of a CGI soundstage hmm. to give it um you know a little more heft, like the confront. I know it's a similar backdrop to the confrontation between Luke and Vader, no doubt. And that's clearly what they're going for. But you could really, tell the Empire,
0: or is it an Empire? Yeah, Empire of, yeah. primarily. Yeah. You, you
1: could tell there they're grabbing on an actual railing. You know, this is a little more – this is an accusation against the prequels, which I agree with. The backgrounds start to get a little too CGI. I think that takes a bit away from it. But overall, I think it works.
0: I think it fits the character. Really sad to see him go. Yeah, I'm sad to see him go as well. But I had a similar reaction as you in terms of feeling like it was the right thing to do. It was the right turn for this story to take. It sets up perfectly, I can only assume Future movies. This storyline is not going to end anytime soon in terms of that character, Kylo Ren, who is Han Solo's son and who is still going to be wrestling with that as he still has a lot to do in order to come to the dark side, which the movie does allude to at the end. He needs to finish his training. So emotionally, everything about it just felt right to me. And Josh, I think what I really appreciated about it is I'm not sure what I expected in that moment, but there was a part of me that did think Abrams was going to make it very easy to have this mushy family moment where Leia says, bring back our son, and he's going to go bring back our son. And he manages to make a speech along the lines of Luke talking to his father somewhat at the end of Return of the Jedi, right? Or Mm -hmm. he doesn't even really say so much to him as just he's begging for his father. He has a transformation. I wasn't sure there was anything Han Solo could say in that moment that was going to make me buy A transformation. I know that the movie did allude to, and I want to talk about this a little bit, that he's a weak character in terms of not fully embracing the dark side, wanting so badly to be like Darth Vader that he still has some of that light in him and that maybe that transformation hasn't happened. So Abrams set it up that it could happen. It was a possibility. It was a possibility. I like that there was that element of intrigue and drama to it, but I wasn't really going to believe Han Solo was going to be so eloquent that he was going to be able to come up with the magic words that were going to turn him around. And I'm glad that Abrams didn't try to give us that moment. So would you count Kylo
1: Ren as one of those characters you're eager to watch, see what happens to him? Do you think he's captivating enough, both as
0: a villain, as a tortured villain? Yeah, but here is where I'm split again, because it speaks to what I think is going to be a strength of future movies, but is right now a weakness of this movie. And that is, I don't think Kylo Ren is a compelling villain. I think they... Strains so hard to make him weak, to make Mm -hmm. him someone who hasn't fully turned to the dark side, who is literally putting on a fake Darth Vader mask in a way, trying to be the evil Lord that it never fully comes off. And so the downside of that is even though I like overall what that means about the character and I think it gives him some room to grow. Watching him in this movie, he's not intimidating at any point. You're never really scared of him. And that makes some scenes not play as effectively as maybe they could if he was a character who was a little bit more of a badass. He gets beat in some scenes here, Josh, that for him to even be as long as he is in his training, Mm -hmm. it seems odd that he isn't more skilled, not just with the lightsaber, but every aspect of being evil, basically, and turning to the dark side. He just doesn't have that. And again, I think that is maybe a weakness of this film, how weak that villain character is. But I think that's what's going to make him potentially be a really fascinating character as we move forward.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great way to envision that character. But what it needed then was a secondary villain that was just intimidating and menacing. And it's not and, Donald Gleason. And, no.
0: No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So if it could have had that sort of, sort of a Darth Maul on the side, would have right. been nice. Yeah. The scene I'm thinking of, since we are spoiling this oh this yeah point. right the scene i was referring to and cringeworthy would be way too strong okay. but going back to what i said about it i stand by it it's actually the unmasking of kylo ren with daisy ridley she's strapped down and he's trying to extract oh, from yeah. her and she starts reading certain information mind. and she instead turns it back on him and what plays out is if you're not Fully into the moment. If you're not buying everything those actors are selling in that moment, then you kind of step outside yourself for a second. You realize that it's two people sitting across from each other kind of like us right now on camera. I'm trying to read your mind right now. We're we're like really forcefully – I know you're thinking. I'm trying to push my thoughts on you and you're trying to push yours on me and it's not really that dramatic. That moment sort of feels that way to me. It
1: has – it worked for me but I'd agree it has maybe three or four too many Mm close-ups cut back a little bit and it would have been it would have been perfect. My cringeworthy moment was one of the sequences between Han and Leia um, where they just kind of kept saying what they were feeling and what we knew they were back and forth the uh, same thing. Yeah, a few less mm-hmm. back and forth close-ups it would have been much better. I'm with you. But other than that, it's pretty cringeworthy free.
0: Yes.